Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. We're going to uh, get into the message side of today's uh, service. Uh, Last Sunday, we asked the question, how are we going to grow? And I talked last Sunday, and I might have talked a little bit too long last Sunday, all the different techniques churches are doing in this world to try to be growing a church. As you look at the last 30 years of Christianity in America, it has been on a steady decline. And for the last several decades, churches have been asking this question, well, how are we going to grow? How do we, how do we grow as a church? And we talked about how many churches out there, uh, they look to the culture, they look to what the culture needs and or wants and says, well, we need to kind of attract people into our church building. We need to uh, have proper messages that are very positive, and we're not going to say anything negative, and we're going to have programming, and everything's going to be good, and it's going to be happy, and we're going to try to be attracting people into churches. I did not mention this, but I believe COVID has killed that theme in America. So that, that, that version of just Christianity was on main stage throughout a lot of churches, throughout all across America. We need to somehow attract people, and then COVID hits. How do you attract people that are afraid of people? Right? Like I said, like that's, it's, like, it's this model that's like, well, we're going to just attract people and attract people, and we're just going to have this real positive message. We're going to create this certain atmosphere. We're going to try to do all these things to bring people into the doors, but then COVID hit, and I, I mean, it's really hard to be doing that in the midst of that. Well, let's get to there today. So, um, we also found out last Sunday, you don't want me wearing skinny jeans to preach. Uh, there was a little bit of a loud reaction last Sunday. Apparently, you guys don't want me to become super trendy and super hip. Uh, that's, that's another path uh, some pastors have been taken. Um, don't worry, guys. Uh, I'm not putting on skinny jeans. Okay, that's, that's going to be a must-have there. Um, I did think of this afterwards, like, if I put on weight, my jeans would naturally become skinny. <laughs> and then do I got to buy new jeans? But anyways, that's a whole other thing here. But the question stands, how are we going to grow? We looked at last week, and we looked at Solomon, and we looked at David's, David's command to, to Solomon, and we also looked at how David built this temple for actually not just for Israel, but for the nations. And there was this call upon Solomon's life, and I believe it's the same call upon our life, and that call is for you and I to walk in obedience to the Lord. If we walk in obedience, God will continue to be growing his church. Well, this week, we're going to kind of have that similar question, but how does somebody, if we're going to grow as a church, if we're going to continue to expand and see God's kingdom come and see God's will be done, how does somebody come to faith? Have you ever thought about, thought about that question? Have you ever actually thought about the logistical side or what must actually take place for a man or a woman to come to faith in Jesus. Because I believe that if you and I are living and breathing on this side of heaven, 
we have that calling to be operating in God's kingdom, to be doing the work that God has been calling us to, and to be having a desire to be seeing men and women come to faith. I want to share with you real quick Philippians 1, 21 through 26, that I believe Paul's heart here is the heart of every church. And this is just a brief mini-sermon, okay? Just a quick little mini one before the sermon. Let me read Philippians to you. This is what, what Paul says, and Paul is conflicted between a couple of things here. He says this, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul is is basically saying, listen, I'm kind of conflicted between a couple of things. I actually, it's actually better for me to die and to actually leave this earth. Paul, his, his desire for Jesus is so great that he looks around and he goes, it's actually better for me to leave this place and be with him. But I'm actually conflicted because if I stay, if I'm living, if I'm breathing, my calling is to be in fruitful labor. And I share that with us here, church, because as I think about God's kingdom, as I think about our church, our desire and our calling is to be in fruitful labor for God's kingdom. And if you and I are going to be doing that, how do men and women enter his kingdom? It's a theological question. Stand with me as we read Matthew chapter 16 this morning. If you turn with me, Matthew chapter 16... Many of you have read these words many times. This is 16, verses 13 through 20. The Word of God says this this morning. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea and Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Let us pray. Father, as we look to your word today, Father, as we look to this conversation that you had with your disciples, Father, will you come and will you minister to us this morning through your Holy Spirit? Lord, will you speak to us? Will you challenge us and encourage us through your word today? And Father, may we grow in our knowledge and faithfulness to you. Jesus, I pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated here. 
As you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you have probably come across this account. This is where Jesus is asking his disciples the question. And I would, and when I say the, I, I meant to say like capital T, capital H, capital E. Like this is the question Jesus is asking them. And he is asking them, and I like how Jesus starts off with his questioning. He says, what do people say the Son of Man is? Look at verse 13. You guys have probably heard this. He, he knows. His disciples have heard from other people. And Jesus says, who do they say I am? And then they answer Jesus in verse 14. Well, some say John the Baptist... Others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, when you read that, you may not be, you might actually be like wondering, like, why are people saying that? Like, say, what's the point of them? Why would they call Jesus John the Baptist? Aren't they separate? Well, by this time, John the Baptist would have already been beheaded, and some people thought John the Baptist came back to life, because John the Baptist was a great prophet. And the people within Israel, within Jerusalem, and within that region, they had heard and they knew who John the Baptist was. It wasn't like he just preached one Friday service down by the river and that was it. John was the forerunner to Christ. He was preaching and teaching and baptizing people. And then they knew that John got beheaded. And some of them said, well, some people are kind of looking at this situation and saying, maybe you're just John the Baptist who came back from the dead. And then others would say, maybe he's Elijah. Now, if you have read the Old Testament, Elijah is the prophet who what? He never died. Thank you. Good answer. Just a solid Bible answer right there. The rest of you are, have failed. Failed. <laughs> Elijah never died. Okay? Elijah was literally taken up into heaven. And they thought, Elijah's coming back. This great prophet, Elijah is like the great prophet of the Old Testament. That's why when Jesus gets transformed on the mount, it's Moses and Elijah. He represents the prophets, Moses represents the law, but that's a whole other sermon. But people were looking at this situation. And guys, remember, there was no pictures, right? Like, so like, I just want to like remind us of this. There's no pictures at this time. There's no like, you know, like, hey, this is, this is Elijah. This is what he looked like. Everyone can see that. Like, say, so like, they're looking at Jesus thinking, well, maybe he is Elijah. Maybe he's the great prophet that came back. And then others are just saying, hey, he might be Jeremiah or one of the prophets. At this time, there was a thought, there was a thinking that at this time, before the Messiah would come, that there would be a whole slew of prophets. They thought many prophets would be coming as forerunners to Jesus. But they don't call him Messiah. See, if people would have been calling him Messiah, that is a big difference between calling him a prophet or Elijah. Everybody knew because they had heard and they had probably seen the miracles that Jesus had done. They had heard his teachings. They have seen all of these miracles and they're looking at Jesus and the world is saying, we don't know who he is, but we do know this. He's a great man. 
He is a great man. He's probably a prophet. He could be the prophet. We're, we know that he's this, but they don't call him Messiah. Because if they would have had, had called him Messiah, they would have had to recognize his, his ultimate authority. Well, then Jesus finally gets down to the disciples in verse 15. And he looks at them and he says, what about you? Who do you say I am? Of course, Peter, if you do not know this yet, Peter is the most outspoken of all of the apostles. Peter speaks up. Simon Peter answered, said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, if we just stop right there, I think that we can make a really good argument right here that, well, this makes perfect sense. Peter had walked with Jesus. Peter had been one of the three closest disciples to Jesus. Peter had seen miracles. Peter had listened to all the sermons. Peter had been walking with Jesus for some time. And I think it's really easy for us to look at that and be like, well, that's obvious. Come on, Peter. Well, Peter would obviously call him the Messiah because Peter had seen it all. But if, if you just kind of pause... Other people had seen what Peter had seen. It wasn't just like Jesus' 12 and then that was it. They had seen the Sermon on the Mount. They had heard the preaching. They had seen miracle after miracle after miracle. And the crowds, the people, they don't call him Messiah. They just call him, well, he's, he's a man of God. That's what he is. He's one of those, you know. He's a prophet, possibly. But then Peter, he's saying, no. You are the Messiah. You are the Holy One. You are the Anointed One. You are the one who came to save mankind from their sins. Look what Jesus says here. Verse 17. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but but by my Father, in heaven. Like I said, Peter had seen everything. Peter had witnessed everything. In the physical realm, in the flesh and blood, Peter had seen Jesus do all of these miracles, and Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, you did not come to know this truth. You did not come to know this reality because of flesh and blood. This was not revealed to you in the physical realm. This was revealed to you by my Father. Now this might be a little bit confusing to you here, but we have to understand this church family, is that as I think about God's kingdom, as I think about his church, as I think about, you know, how are we going to be growing, how are people going to come to faith in Christ, I think we have to understand this, this vital truth. It's not in the flesh and blood. It's not in the physical realm that this takes place. This happens because the Father who is in heaven, the Lord of lords, the King, reveals himself to them. This is not something that mankind does. And before I start to sound a little, um, before I go down, there's, there's a couple of different theological camps that people have been arguing about for the last couple thousand years. 
as you guys are probably thinking, Pastor, like, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the free will camp and the predestination camp that has been circulating out there, and we can talk about that. That's a whole other, whole other topic there. But what we see here is that for, a, for someone to come to faith in Jesus, the Father reveals the Son. This is huge for us to understand the, theologically. Because like what I said last week, you know, when churches try to, well, we need to have some sort of draw, we need to, you know, have, have some sort of show or something to kind of get people in, and then, then they're going to come to faith, and it's like, well, hang on here. You have to look theologically at what has to take place. The Heavenly Father has to do a work inside of someone's heart and mind. It's a spiritual matter. It's not a physical matter. It's a spiritual matter. God has to reveal himself to people. That's what has to be taking place. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are working together to reveal the Son to this world. I want to talk real quick. i got to turn to, to John 16. John 16, starting in verse 5, Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit that is to come. And he says this. He says, But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm leaving this place, and the, the disciples are not too happy. They're actually pretty sad because Jesus is leaving. He says, nevertheless, I tell you, in, in verse 7, it is your advantage that I go. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, this Helper, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to tell you, but you cannot bear them. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Church family, what happens for a man or woman to come to faith, the Holy Spirit has to get involved. And what the Holy Spirit does to this world is that it convicts this world of its sin. This is, now you guys might be sitting there thinking, well, well, pastor, this is a basic theological truth. As you think about how we're going to grow, how, how are we going to be working in God's kingdom we have to understand a spiritual awakening must take place within people's hearts and minds. This is not something you and I can do. I don't know if you, if you knew this, you can't change hearts and minds. Like, if, if anyone here is a parent and you're, and you're raising little kids, right? That little kid has what? A will. Strong will, if you got especially the youngest. I'm the youngest. And my youngest. He's not in here, and I'm not going to be picking on him. I'm not going to mention his name. But, but really think about this, church family. 
And I think about this often because I look at my own kids. I can't change them. I can't change them. Like I can't, I can't, you know, I could set up a bunch of rules and, you know, be like, okay, well, there's going to be discipline, which if you're, if you're parenting and you don't have discipline, let's talk about that one after service. You need to have discipline and, and you're like raising them. But at the end of the day, I cannot change their hearts and their minds towards Christ. We read the Bible. We, we do memory verses. We bring them to church. We pray with them. I preach at them even at home, and sometimes my daughter goes, oh, Dad, you're, you're getting in, into your preaching voice. <laughs> Thank you, Gloria Jean. But, but I share this, church family, because, because as we think about God's kingdom, we have to recognize what God does. We have different roles. Our role, we can never get on to the path wall. You know, I just, I just need to help, help change this person. And it's like, you can't. That's not your job. That's not your role. You do not change hearts and minds. You do not reveal Jesus to the world. You do not. It's the Father. It's the Holy Spirit. Conviction takes place. And that conviction of sin is one of the greatest things, I think, on this side of heaven. When men and women start to feel convicted of their sin, which is what the Holy Spirit does, it's like that is, that is like a starting point because conviction of our sin, conviction of realizing, hey, I fall short. Hey, I do not measure up to the things of God. That's the Holy Spirit working. And what the Holy Spirit does is that it's pointing people to the Messiah. It's pointing people to the Savior. It's saying, hey, you actually need a Savior. You actually need to deal with this sin within your lives. And I share that because, guys, we, I don't think any of us in this room, and I've never heard you guys say it, that like, well, we got to get out there and, and, and somehow just convince people. And it's like, we walk in obedience, church family. That's what I preached on last week. We walk in obedience to the king. That's our job. That's our role. We, we just simply walk and obey what God commands us to do and God works. God transforms life. God changes hearts and minds. And I believe that as we think about our church, as we think about the future of this church and how are we going to, to be growing, uh, I'm, not, I'm not too concerned, and maybe, maybe this is false thinking, but I'm, I'm really not too concerned about God doing his part. I'm not. This is what he does. This is literally what God does. He convicts people of sin. He transforms lives. He draws them to Christ. He points to Jesus, and he draws people to the Messiah. He does it. He has to do a spiritual awakening within their hearts and within their minds. In the church, we call that being born again. God has to do this work, and I'm, I'm not concerned about God not doing his work. His work will be done. If we continue to walk in obedience, that's our calling. I like how Romans chapter 1 says this. Paul says this, Romans 1.15. He says, for I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. E eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. As Paul writes this letter, he says, listen, Rome, I'm, I'm eager to come there. I'm eager to come and to share this gospel message, to share who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for this world. I'm eager to come because he's not ashamed of it. Because he knows that it is the power of God for salvation. When you and I share with this world who Christ is, the gospel message, the good news of Jesus coming to this earth, his death and resurrection, when you share that, it's the power of God at work. And God's working through his Holy Spirit. He's, he's convicting people. He's, he's, he's drawing them in to the kingdom. And it's what he does. Romans 10, 13 through 15 says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And, and how then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they going to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they going to hear without someone preaching? And how are they going to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And I've said this a thousand times. You guys know that my job as the pastor here is, is not to be the only one who preaches. And I'm not just saying on Sunday morning, but I'm not the only one who's called to share who Christ is and what Christ has done. It's the calling of God's people. And I'm telling us, when we do this, guys, God does a work. Somebody preached the gospel to me. Somebody shared the gospel to me in that 1984 Buick on my way up to Green Bay, Wisconsin, on just some, some Friday night, right? And the Holy Spirit did a work. I can't fully explain it, but that's what God does. And I, I, I share this with us, church family, and I want to encourage you today. As you think about God's kingdom, as you think about God's church, as you think about Woodland here, we need to understand God's role. He changes hearts. He changes minds. We don't. And if you're walking around with that burden, just take that burden off. You know, if you're like, man, I got I to gotta save people today. I got to get out there and I got I to gotta just, you know, and it's like, no, 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 that's, that's not your burden. Your burden is to follow the Savior. That's why Jesus constantly said, just, just, just follow me. Just follow me. And then what happens is that hearts and lives get transformed. And, and I, think, I think there's actually pretty good evidence that we know when hearts and minds get transformed because their desires for this world start to fade. And their desires for God's kingdom starts to grow. And they have a heart for other people. Lord Jesus, I, I just want you to do a work within my neighbor's heart. He was yelling at me last week because I accidentally cut two feet onto his lawn. He was out there screaming. I, I cut it too short. Lord, do a work. That's, that's where we come in, church. I'm going to ask you to memorize a verse with me. Yes, I'm saying that out loud. Next Sunday, there's a pop quiz before you can even enter those doors. <laughs> the quiz must take place, okay? I'm going to ask and challenge you this week. 
to memorize this verse. It's Romans 10.1. This is what Paul says. He says, brothers, my heart's desires and, the, and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Paul's prayer is that men and women would come to faith. When you read that word saved, that's what it's talking about there. That they would be transferred from darkness to light, that they would come into God's kingdom. And his prayer is that they would be saved. And I'm going to challenge you guys this week. Talk about this verse in your home. Pray. Memorize it. Because I believe that as we operate in God's kingdom, as we follow Christ, our desire is for other men and women to be saved. And what, and what we do is we just start praying for them. Lord, do a work. Lord, transform hearts and lives. Lord, that's what you do. Father, I lift them up to you. So I'm going to, like what I said, next Sunday, that first person in, I'm quizzing you like right away. Which is usually Debbie Carlson if she's in here. Debbie, Debbie and Chuck, you guys will be on the chopping block next Sunday. But I challenge you guys, Romans 10.1, church family. I'm going to ask for the worship team to be coming up as I'm praying for us today. And uh, they're going to lead us. And I think probably the most fitting closing song because it celebrates and reminds us of how great God's grace is. So I'm going to ask for you to stand as I pray for us today. And I'm going to pray that God would continue to do a work on our hearts. Father, by your Holy Spirit, Father, I pray, Lord, that your people, that myself, Lord, that we would not be ashamed of your gospel. Lord, that, that, we, that we would walk in obedience to you. Father, that, that as we look at this world around us, that we, that we would have faith that you do a work, that you can transform hearts and lives. Father, that is the work that you do. Father, help us this week to trust you, to believe you. Father, you reveal the Son to this world. Father, I'm grateful that your people get to be a part of that. But Father, do a work in our hearts and lives this week, Lord. Father, help us to be praying for those who do not know you. Help us to walk in faith this week and fully trust the work that, that, that you can only do. Father, I praise you for your word. I praise you for this time of worship. Father, as we declare who you are, Father, continue to draw us closer to you today. We pray this now in Christ's name. Amen.